good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. What you are about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of the word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. You are invited to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. Our text this morning comes from Romans 15, verses 5 through 7, but we'll read uh, verses 1 through 7 together. Romans chapter 15, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 7. And once you get there, I invite you to stand in honor of God's word. Romans chapter 15. Verses 1 through 7. I'll give you a second. We believe that these words were given by inspiration of God and are the only sufficient, certain, and authoritative rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, whom have we in heaven but you? To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Therefore, we now come to your word, seeking these words of eternal life. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a mind to understand. Give us a heart to believe. Give us a spirit to obey. Guide us with your counsel, O Lord. May the preaching of your word be accompanied by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text this morning in in verses 5 through 7 is, is a prayer that Paul is praying over the church at Rome. And we, we know that from this word, may. And so if you're looking at verse 5, the first, the first word of our text this morning is the word may. And I am convinced, and I want to argue to you this morning first, that the word may is the most important word in this entire text. That the word may is, is here to remind us and to show us and to prove to us that apart from the power of God working in us to grant us harmony with one another, we will not have it. That apart from the working of the power of the Spirit in us to grant us harmony with one another, we will not have true, lasting harmony. In many ways, this text, verses 5 through 7, could be described as a benediction. And I think it's a helpful exercise as we come to texts like this to be reminded of why we close our weekly services with a benediction? What's the point of of a benediction as we depart from one another? 
Nothing in general. The purpose of our benedictions and the, perp- the reason that we pray prayers like this from the scriptures is to remind us that everything that we have been exhorted to do and commanded to do together, everything that we have been shown in the scriptures that is, that is a good thing for a Christian to do or to be, everything that we've been shown that is, is wise and good, we understand and we admit that we have no ability to do that thing by our own power. That there is nothing in us that can just hold on a little bit longer or just work a little bit harder or just dig a little bit deeper and obey these things. That we are incredibly in need of the power of Christ to grant us these things. And thus, we close each Sunday praying over ourselves the the reality that that we are in deep need of Christ to do these things in us through the power of the Spirit. And Paul here, after giving us all of these ethical commands in chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15, all of these, all of these commands to, to welcome the weaker brother, to not despise the weaker brother, to not pass judgment on the, the stronger brother, to, to bear with, with one another, to, to please your neighbor before you please yourself, all of these things, we can look at these things and we ask the question, who is sufficient for these things? There's so much, there's so many situational experiences, there's so many ways that I look at Romans 14 and I see myself a failure because I, I've failed in these things. And Paul does not close this section and say, you know what? You're good at, you're good at this. You're going to be able to do it if you just try a little harder. If you, just, if you just, you know, make a good plan. If you just develop good habits. If you just, if you just build up a little bit of stamina. If you just dig a little bit deeper, then you're going to be able to do this. I'm convinced that part of Good reading is figuring out what the author did not say and why. And Paul gets here to the end of this section. And he doesn't say any of those things. He says, if you want to be unified, if you want to endure in harmony in the body, if you want to be encouraged in your life in the body, The answer is not to just try a little harder or to just work a little bit better. The answer is to fall on your face and beg God to grant it to you. And he says here, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And we have to start here. There's there's no other place we can start. Paul Paul isn't just trying to give us a pep talk. He's not giving us the coach's speech before we go out and play a good game. He's saying to us, you are unable. There's nothing that you can do on your own to to bring about the harmony that's promised to you. You need the power of God. You need the power of the Spirit to grant you this kind of harmony. And I'm convinced this morning that Paul's prayer reveals to us four different things about our harmony. And so I would like to walk through them with us this morning. If you're taking notes and you want a roadmap, the the first point that we're going to explore is that Paul reveals to us that our harmony is indeed granted to us by God. And then we will explore how our harmony is only in accord with Christ Jesus. Third, that our harmony is a response to being welcomed by Christ. And then fourth, that our harmony ultimately is for the glory of God. And so let's look together. What does Paul reveal? in this prayer about harmony. He reveals first that our harmony is indeed granted to us by God. What does he say in verse 5? 
So we have the word may there. It's a, it's a hint. This is a prayer. He's praying this over the church at Rome. It's inspired, and so it's praying it over us. It says, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement. Now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you'll recognize those words. You'll look back at verse 4. That, that's the, the same language that Paul uses in verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days, so we talked about last week that the scriptures are written, they reveal to us Jesus Christ. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. For our instruction that what? He says, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We think about who we want to help us or to serve us or to do something for us, we almost always are more, uh, more comfortable when the person is an expert. When we, when we go to the person and, and they're an expert in it. And what we see in verse 5 is Paul is reminding us that if we want endurance, if we want to be able to endure, if we want to truly be encouraged, why not go to the one who is the author of endurance and the author of encouragement? He says, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. So if you want to be encouraged, if you want to endure, if you want to have hope forever, why not go to the one who is the God of encouragement, the God of endurance? He does this actually three different times in this chapter, in chapter 15. If you look down at verse 13, he says, he calls God the God of hope. Who is better to provide hope for you than the God of hope? In verse 33, he says, may the God of peace. Who is better to provide peace for you than the God of peace? We go to the source, and the source is the God of endurance and encouragement. How can we endure? How can we be encouraged? We can endure and be encouraged because it's granted to us by the God of endurance and encouragement. And the question is, why why does he bring up these two words here? What is it about opinions, as we've looked at for the past several months, what is it about opinions that that leads us to a need for endurance and encouragement? And I would submit to you that as you walk with Jesus, that the most exhausting and difficult part of navigating the Christian life in the body is, And trying to dwell in unity is navigating the differences in opinions and the differences in in desires that we have as brothers and sisters. He says, if you want to live in harmony amidst all of these differences, amidst different beliefs about food and drink, about different, amidst different beliefs about days, and we could add any kind of example that we've talked about in the past several months, if you want to live in harmony and you want to be encouraged and you want to endure. Why not go to the source? Because we we are going to need, if you don't now, you need encouragement. You need endurance. You need to be able to say, it is is Christ who bought me and I am going to dwell in harmony by the power of the Spirit. We need to be reminded that He is the best encourager. And because it's been 12 months since we read Romans 8 together, it can be easy to to forget that Paul has just told us, if you need encouragement, if you want to know what is encouraging about this source of encouragement, it's the fact that he who started this good work in you will not stop until it's complete. That he who, who elected you will glorify you with Christ. 
that there is no breaking off of that, that there's no situation in which you who are called will be cast away. This endurance and this encouragement is granted by the God of endurance and encouragement. And I love that he uses this word grant here because we see this word in other places in the scriptures. In Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John are, are, are before the council and the council says, you need to go away and don't talk about Jesus anymore. The, the believers immediately, what do they do? They say, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and what? Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ." that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. I point out that word grant because the word reminds us that there is no hope of having it apart from him giving it to us. That we will not live in harmony unless the God of encouragement and endurance gives us that kind of unity. That it won't happen. We won't have it. And I think so often we are guilty, and I know I am guilty, of looking at a, a passage like Romans 14 and making a list and saying, well, I failed in this way, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit better in this way, but I need to do this and I need to do that before I ever stop and beg God to grant this kind of harmony in my own heart. And we ask the question, well, why does this kind of harmony, the harmony he speaks of here, where we have harmony with one another, where we actually can have one voice and we have one mind in Christ, what, why does this have to be granted? Well, it has to be granted, as we've seen in all of Romans 14, that we have differences in opinions, that we have differences in, in the way we live our lives. We have different political philosophies. We have different social circles. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different beliefs about dinosaurs, even. You can listen to the podcast. We have different economic statuses. We have different beliefs about all kinds of number of things, about how to raise our children, and about what to do with different situations. We have different gifts, as Romans 12 would show us. We have different abilities. And so we look at our, our landscape, right? We look across the room from one another and we have differences that, that, are, that are huge, right? We have complete, completely different opinions on so many different things. So much so that the world could look and say, there's no way that those people can sit in the same room Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and not start a fight or not be divided down the middle aisle. It has to be granted because it's impossible on our own. But I think it's important that we understand that this kind of harmony, that this kind of unity is granted to us for two reasons. I think understanding that it is God, that it is our prayer that God would grant this to us, is important that we understand for two reasons. The first reason is that it, it murders our pride. There is, there is no universe where I can stand up here and look at each of your faces and say, look at what we did. 
Look at what we have built. Look at what all of the, all of the, the work that we've put in and look how it's turned out. I feel gross even saying it sarcastically. Realizing that God grants our harmony, murders our pride. There's no universe in which we can look out and say, look at all that we have built and grown. But not only does it murder our pride, understanding this enlivens our prayers. When we understand that that some of the, the most difficult and exhausting parts of living in the body together are are navigating these things together, then it, it brings us to our knees and our faces before God, begging Him to provide what only He can provide. That, that, that we, we get before God and we say, there's, there's nothing that I can do to maintain the unity of this body. It's all by your power that you hold us together. Lord, please, in your, in your grace, give us the grace to be unified. And I'm reminded even over the last several months as the elders, our major prayer and moving into a new space with all of the newness and the difference is God, make us unified. Give us unity. Help us to live in harmony with one another. Help us to, to let our opinions die so that, so that our unity can be, can be lifted high. It's granted to us. May it be granted to us to what? He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Literally, this means to be of the same mind with one another. It's the same phrasing that we have in Philippians 2.2 where Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. It's the same phrasing we have in 1 Corinthians 13.11 where Paul says, agree with one another. And I think this is an important point that we, we can't miss. I think the, the word harmony is helpful here for the reason that Paul is not asking for uniformity. He's asking for harmony. My favorite part this morning of singing together was coming to this seat right here in the front for the last song because I got to hear all the voices behind me. And guess what? They weren't all the same. You had people singing melody and you had people singing harmony and we we're singing in in one voice, right? We're singing the same song. We are, we are singing the same praises, yet we all bring our own different skill sets or different abilities or different gifts. And, and when I hear us sing and, it, and it's harmonious, right? It's a reminder that melody is beautiful and there are beautiful melodies, but harmonies where, where tones work together and we, and we hear different tones that work toward the same end. It's so much more beautiful. And Paul says that may he grant us to live in such harmony with one another, to be of the same mind, harmony toward, first, one another. I think this is important. That Paul is not commanding that we live in harmony with every single person in the world. What does he say? He says, may God give you harmony with one another, with your brothers and your sisters. And what does this harmony look like? Well, if we, if we're under, to understand that our harmony is in accord with Christ, then what we understand is that our harmony is, is to take on the likeness of Christ. What does that reveal about our harmony? It reveals, I think, first, that if we're going to live in harmony, that the way that God grants harmony is, is through our humility. If you look at verse 2 of chapter 15, 
what does Paul command us to do? He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor. How do we know that this is the example that we have in Christ? Well, if you look in verse 3, for Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I'm reminded of chapter 12. You just look across your page there to chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How do we live in harmony with one another? How do we live in such harmony with one another that we have the same mind? What does it mean to have the same mind? It means first to be humble. To, to think of others before we think of ourselves, to highly esteem others more than we highly esteem ourselves. When you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in just a moment, think about the reality that all that we have, that all that we have gathered about is the reality that we had nothing to offer, that he granted us everything that we have that we've gathered and proclaimed together, that there, there's nothing in this book that says, look at you for all you've brought to the table. We proclaim together that all we have is, is from apart from us, that it was granted to us by Christ. So why not look at this unity in this way and say, if, if God doesn't grant it, then we are hopeless to have it. But harmony not only looks like humility, understanding that, that we are we are dust, that we have nothing that we have brought to the table. But also, complementarity. What I mean by complementarity is, is two pieces fitting together. That two pieces are 150 pieces with different, with different skills and abilities and with different gifts fitting together as one. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look back at Romans chapter 12, verse 4, what does Paul remind us? He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What we see in, chap in chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, is that our, our harmony works together, again, not by us being uniform, not by us saying, well, there's, there's just one template for who we are and what we do, and so we all just have the same opinions about everything, and we're, and we're robots in that way, that there's nothing we could ever disagree on because we all agree on everything, which is unrealistic and, and not real. He says, rather, our harmony is fleshed out in the fact that we all understand that we have different roles and different abilities and different gifts and different things that, that we serve the body with, and we live in that world together in harmony. Not forgetting that we have opinions and things that we disagree on, but remembering that our differences are a part of what is so glorious about what Christ has built here looking to Christ as our example, who did not please himself, verse 3 says. And he says here in verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, which we'll come back to in just a second, that, verse 6, together 
you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice. I think it's helpful to, to hit that with one voice here now. What does it mean to glorify God together with one voice? The word together here literally means with one accord. It means with one mind. So it's almost as if Paul is just saying in a different way what he's already said. He's reminding in a different way what he's already told us is that we, we will glorify God with together with one voice. Literally with one voice means with one mouth. The idea, right, that, that you, you hear 12, 13, 14 people talk and they all have the same thing coming out of their mouth, that all of it matches. And we ask the question, what does it mean to live with one another in such harmony that we have the same mind, that we speak with the same voice, that we live in one accord with one mind? What does it mean if it doesn't mean uniformity? It means, and I think chapters 12 through 14 have proven to us very clearly that it means that we as individuals who are all different, who have different roles, who have different strengths, who have different abilities, who have different weaknesses, all of us in Christ, with the mind of Christ, dwell in harmony. And you ask the question, well, how does this glorify God? Because all of those things that I mentioned that are different about us, the difference in, in philosophies about political or social issues, the difference in social circles, the difference in likes and dislikes, the difference in beliefs about dinosaurs, the difference in economic statuses, the difference in beliefs about any number of things that have to do with our children, the difference in, in, difference in gifts, the difference in abilities. The world looks at that and they say, there's no way. How do they gather together? I remember, I remember a moment riding in a car with, with a friend that I have had for over 10 years and him, and him saying, there are so many different kinds of people at your church. Like, I don't understand why you're all together. It's like, me neither, right? Apart from the grace of Christ, that he's granted us to live in unity, not because of any of those other things that characterize us, but because we have Christ in common. I love going to band concerts. I was in the marching band in high school and for a couple years, and I played the bass clarinet. And if you don't know what a bass clarinet is, that, doesn't, that makes a lot of sense. It's not a very popular instrument. And to be honest, if you're ever somewhere, you're not going to hear a bass clarinet solo it's not going to be something that is, that is prominent in a concert. Um, but I love going to, to band concerts and recitals and those things because in a lot of ways, right, like I feel like a bass clarinet in my life, that there are things about me that I feel like are strange or that, that don't fit well, but you see a bass clarinet in the, in the orchestra together and it fits. And things that don't look alike, right? The, a, a flute and a tuba that look completely different. And they, in, in, this, in this band together, working together in harmony, it sounds like one voice. And we look across the landscape of our church, 
right? And you can look across the room. You can look at the people in front of you. You can see the people in this room, and we have so many differences. And what is Paul saying? He says all of those differences fade down when we live together in harmony. And what is our harmony in? Our harmony is in Christ. And when the people of the world see that people with, of differing ages and different abilities and different gifts and different beliefs about other things come together, the Scriptures say that God is glorified. And so we move our attention to what it means to live in harmony in accord with Christ Jesus. And so we've seen, number one, that our harmony is granted us by God. Number two, our harmony is only in accord with Christ Jesus. If you look at the end of verse five, this is what he says. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord, in accord with Christ Jesus. What we understand is that our harmony can't just be in anything else. That we can't just have harmony, that just harmony isn't enough. Harmony apart from Christ is at best worthless and at worst evil. I was thinking about as, as we've gone through the book of Genesis with, with the students, I was reminded of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is the only recorded time in history when everyone in the, in the universe, everyone in the world was of one mind. And they were of one mind to make a name for themselves and to build a tower that would, that would make them objects of worship. It's evil. It's not enough merely to be harmonious. Paul is not advocating for unity and harmony at all costs. James would tell us that the wisdom from above is first what? It's first pure. It's first true. And then it's peaceable. We don't believe in harmony at all costs. Paul is not saying do whatever it takes to live in harmony. He's saying live in harmony in accord with who? In accord with Christ Jesus. And thus, any harmony we have based off of our opinions is worthless, is empty, won't last. It won't grant us the kind of endurance and encouragement we need to make it to the end. Any harmony that we have based off of one of our opinions will fall apart. He says, may God grant you harmony that is in accord with Christ Jesus. What does it mean that it is in accord with Christ Jesus? I think first it means that our harmony exists with Christ as our example. In Philippians chapter 2, we see it just after he says in, in verse 2, about having the same mind, he does again say this language. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 5, have this mon mind among yourselves. What is the mind that we have among ourselves? It's the mind of Christ Jesus. So again, to live in harmony with one another isn't uniformity, but rather to have the mind of Christ. And so what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, he was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did he do? He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our harmony is based in our example, Jesus Christ, who, if we have his mind, we understand that we are servants. 
that Christ is the ultimate servant, and our life in the body is modeled after his life, which means that if he is the ultimate servant, we want to serve. And I think it's so different if you look at what Paul is combating in, 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 verse, in chapter 14. When he, when he has to say, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion, what, what is he combating? He's combating this mindset of, of grumbling about brothers and sisters who are weaker. And we imagine, right, we ask the questions, how can I serve that brother or sister who is weaker rather than grumbling about their weakness? How can I build that brother or sister up rather than merely wishing their sanctification would just turn up a notch? How can I lay down my own life for my brothers and sisters instead of walking in ready to be served? Our harmony is in accord with Christ. Our harmony is based in Christ's example. But more importantly, and I think this is the part that we sometimes forget, our harmony is in accord with Christ because Christ is, in fact, our commonality. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And what does he say? There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's almost as if Paul says, if, if you're going to put what we have in common in Christ on one side of a scale, nothing that you put in the other side is going to outweigh the fact that we have Christ in common. That there's nothing else that what we have confessed together is that all, but what's most important for us to have in common is Christ. That if together we have the mind of Christ, that it does not matter what is different about us. That if we are living in harmony in accord with Christ, if we remember and if we believe and if we live as if, what, what is true about us most universally and, and, and first is that we have Christ in common, that it does not matter what we don't have in common. Because our harmony is not based in the other things we have in common. Our harmony is based in Christ as our commonality. And so the question is, if we have such a strong harmony in Christ, and the question that I asked myself this week, if, if we have such a strong harmony in Christ, if it's granted to us by God, how often do we let petty squabbles influence our fellowship with one another? How often do we let opinions dictate our feelings about our brothers and sisters? How often do we label our brothers and sisters based off of this opinion or that opinion? How often do we stand up in this room after we say amen and say, well, I can't go talk to that person because I don't know what we talk about. How often do we say, I can't be close to that brother or sister because we don't really have that much in common? How often do we desire to be hospitable but think if they come over to my house, I don't really know that we'll be able to talk for a whole meal. When we think these things and when we, though we may never 
admit them out loud. What we are essentially saying is that what we have in common in Christ isn't enough. That what we have in common and being bought by the blood of Jesus isn't enough to fill a dinner conversation. And I look at this and I say, I am guilty. And yet, Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just tell us that our harmony is granted by God and that it is in accord with Christ. Number three, he tells us that our harmony is a response to being welcomed by Christ. Paul doesn't hit us with the law here. He reminds us of of the gospel. What does he say in verse 7? He says, he kind of finishes his prayer, and he says in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I love this word here. Therefore means, it's not that, he's, it's not that he is like saying therefore based off of verse 4 and 5. He's saying, back to my point, right? He kind of, he kind of seemingly, right, thought about the glories of this and praised this prayer over the people at Rome. And then he says, all right, so now back to my point. Therefore, and I'm going I'm to invert this, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you, welcome one another. This word as, it means just as. It means in the same degree. Just as Christ has welcomed you. And I think about how long we could stand here, I could stand here and, and just reflect on the ways that Christ has welcomed me. I can think about all of the ways in which I, who did not deserve to be welcomed, was brought in. To think that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Paul tells us that we've been made alive in Christ. Not that we brought ourselves to life, not that we we filled out the right information to bring us back to life, but that he brought us to life by his power. That we were slaves to sin and he has brought us in and adopted us and made us sons of God. That we were sons of disobedience and he says, not only are you my son, but you're an heir and you're an heir with Christ. That we were enemies. And even though we were his enemies, he has made us more than conquerors. He has made us his friends. Scriptures tell us that we were not a people and we have been made his people. You think about the way that Christ has welcomed us. This week as I was, as I was studying, I was thinking about, about knocking on the doorstep, right? Of, as, kind of putting myself in this, in this picture of like, well, I'm just knocking on the doorstep and he opens the door and sees me and, I'm, and there's nothing beautiful about me and there's nothing, uh, there's nothing good about me and yet he welcomes me anyway. And then I thought to myself, Blake, you didn't knock on the doorstep. You were dead in the front yard. And he went out there and he picked you up and he brought you to life and he made you a son. He has welcomed us to the degree that we could never comprehend much less to to reciprocate to our brothers and sisters. Oh, how he has welcomed us. And not only has he welcomed us at one moment in the past, he says in John chapter 6, all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
Not only has he welcomed us, but he will continue to welcome us into eternity. There's never a moment where he, has, where he refuses to welcome us anymore. That if he's brought us into the house, he'll never kick us out. And he'll love us forever. And we'll enjoy him together forever. He has welcomed us. You think about the ways that Christ has welcomed us. And then he says, just as Christ has welcomed you, welcome one another. <laughs> just as Christ has welcomed you, welcome one another. What has he done? He took your sin and he gave you righteousness that was his he took your death and he gave you his life. He took your penalty and he gave you a free gift in himself. He took your debt and he gave you his riches. If he has welcomed us in this way, who are we to put limits on how we welcome our brothers? Who are we to say, well, if their opinions were a little bit better, I'd welcome them. Or if they were a little bit farther along in sanctification, I'd welcome them. Or if we had something else in common, maybe I could welcome them. Who are we to say that we should add anything else to our welcome? Christ welcomed us when we were the most unwelcomable. So we welcome one another as Christ welcomed us. This word welcome, it means to grant access to one's heart, to take into friendship, to take into contact. The image here that Paul is giving to us is not an image of some kind of stale, sterile relationship where we just kind of casually know one another and we can remember a few things about your kids and that we can, we can move on to next Sunday when we talk to someone else. He says, as Christ has welcomed you, intimate knowing, access to your heart, intimate friendship, intimate contact, as Christ has welcomed you, welcome one another. And what does this do for us? It kills our excuses. Are we going to say to Christ, well, you know, they don't really deserve it. Are we going to say to Christ, well, you know, it's, they're kind of difficult to love. It might take a really long time to, for them to let me in. It might take a really long time for us to to, to dwell in perfect unity. Yeah, it might. It might take until eternity. And yet he's promised that it'll happen. That he's the one who grants it. The question is, well, how far can we go with this? Does, does he really mean that we welcome our brothers if they are brothers every time? Yes. We ask the question, what, is, what did Jesus say about how the world will know that we belong to him? What did Jesus say about how the world will know that we are his people? In John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Sounds similar, right? That we welcome one another just as we have been welcomed by Christ. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, by what? By the love you have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, which is our desire, right? We want to walk out of this place and the people at Dollar General be like, what do they have in common? Why are 150 people gathering there every week to do the same thing? What is it that, about that place that is so compelling to them? 
or harmony is a response to being welcomed by Christ. And I think that question that I just asked, that what does Jesus say about how the world will know we are his, leads us into our final point, which is that our harmony is ultimately for the glory of God. Our harmony is ultimately for the glory of God. You'll notice this refrain in, in verses 5 through 7. When he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The refrain here is, is that our unity, our harmony, our welcoming of one another is for the glory of God. And we get to this point, and, and the logical question is, who else would it be for? If we've been told that, that our harmony is granted to us by the power of Christ in us, if we've been told that our harmony is not based on any secondary thing, but it's, it's in accord with Christ, if we've been told that our, our harmony is a response to having been welcomed by Christ in the gospel, then who else would get the glory for this harmony? We're reminded that Christ welcomed us to God's glory. In John 17, he, he, he is praying to the Father. And he says, I glorified you on earth. John 8, 50, he says, I do not seek my own glory. Hebrews 2, 10. He welcomed us, Hebrews 2, 10 and 11, and then says, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. He welcomed us to God's glory. But not only did Christ welcome us to God's glory, we welcome one another to God's glory. What's the, what does it matter that we, we are welcoming one another? What does it prove that we welcome one another despite our differences? What it proves is that it proves to our brothers that we value Christ and that commonality we have in Christ over our opinions. It puts our opinions in the right place. When we welcome one another despite our differences, what we understand is that our opinions are in the right place, that Christ is, is first and Christ is overall. And if he is overall, then it doesn't matter what happens beneath because we have unity in him. And it proves to the world that what we say we believe about Jesus is true. That what we say we believe about the power of the, of the gospel is true. That not only has he made dead men live, but he has, he has made, he has made a, a group of people who have, who have nothing lasting in common share the commonality of Christ and dwell in harmony with one another. And we live in that harmony to God's glory. And this matters. It matters that we understand that, that we live to God's glory because that is our chief end. We don't live in harmony just so we will be happy. Although living in harmony typically helps us to be happy. We don't live in harmony merely so that we will be unified. Although being unified is normally a good way to get more things done. We don't live in harmony, harmony merely because we want the world to be shocked. Although if the world is shocked, we get, to, we get to proclaim the gospel over them. We don't live in harmony, harmony merely so that we can, we can build up things that we have done. We live in harmony to the glory of God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our God gets glory 
when the world sees that we live in harmony despite our differences of opinion. And I'm reminded that not only is this a prayer that Paul, because it's inspired, has prayed over us, this is a prayer that Christ has prayed over us. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father and he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And church, we look at this prayer and we look at Paul's prayer and what do we, what do we have to say together? We have to be encouraged. Why are we encouraged? Because the prayers that Jesus pray happen that they may be one even as we are one. And he has granted us harmony in himself. And, and so we believe that, right? We believe in, in the sovereignty of God, that he has granted us that harmony. And we believe that, that we, have it, we don't have it apart from his giving it to us. And so we, we fall down on our faces and we beg him to give us the harmony that's described. And then we believe, we are encouraged, and we believe because we know that Romans 8 is true, because we know that, Ro- that John 17 is true, that, that the work that he started, he will complete, and that we will dwell forever in perfect unity in the face of Jesus Christ. And if we're in Christ through the Spirit, he's given us the ability to obey, to dwell in harmony with one another. He grants it. As we beg that he would give us unity, he gives it. We believe it is true. And we live accordingly. We live as those who are welcomed by Christ. And we welcome one another. And so as we close, I think it would be most helpful for me to simply read this prayer over us one more time. Because we truly do believe that it is the God of endurance who we serve, the God of encouragement who we serve, who is the one who grants us to live in unity. And so, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.